following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Good morning, everyone. By now, you've heard why I'm not with you. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night not feeling that great and um, continued into uh, into the morning. And so we thought it best if uh, I stay home and try to send a video of this morning's sermon. I was really looking forward to being with you this morning, especially to show off my beard trim and haircut. But I guess you're going to have to wait until I'm back with you in person soon. Uh, one of the things that seems to happen to me uh, when... I prepare a message is often the Lord puts me through the the lesson or something to do with the message itself. Only God knows if it's really working like that, but it does seem to be to be that way. I remember speaking on things like trusting in God for provision, and then that week I'd, something would happen financially, and I'd be really challenged to trust the Lord. and And actually, I see this as a good thing uh, because. Um, I, I want the messages that I share to be real, and I don't just want to rattle on about concepts. Um, the, all this has to be real, and I hope you know already that's my heart, and so I just that's just a little glimpse into both what my week is like and now having to come to you this way over, over video in the midst of this week's Advent series message called Gospel Joy. Now, just to know, because I really want to fill you in on on how I think and stuff, is um, on one hand, I, I treasure authenticity, but I'm also aware that I'm a fairly good performer. So that's why a lot of people don't see what's going on inside, because when the lights go on, it's time to do whatever it is, I, I go into that persona, and, and that runs very deep in my family line, it appears. Uh, and uh, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, there's a there's a time to fall apart in front of everybody, and there's a, a, a time to hold it together. And I'm going to try to hold it together. And as I share about gospel joy, um, letting you know that um, joy has been a challenge for me in the over 40 years that I've been a believer. And some of you know my story and and my struggles over anxiety and so on. But God has been so good. And perhaps even my struggles this morning uh, will help um, connect us all, including myself, with the reality of true gospel joy. So during these weeks of Advent, we are looking at the four Advent themes of hope, excuse me, peace, joy, love through a strong gospel lens. As I've mentioned, I assume there's an assumption that every sermon given from a legitimate church pulpit would be seen through a gospel lens. What, what What perspective is there from which to speak in a place like this besides the good news of Jesus? But as you know, just because we're in a church or sitting in my home office, or called Christians, or claim to teach from the Bible, doesn't make it so. A crucial part of this congregation's history has to do with standing for Bible truth. But sadly, many a congregation today prides itself in progressing beyond the Bible, and often doing that in the name of the Bible, but not at all saints. 
Here we strive to stay, stay true to the clear teaching of Scripture. Certainly, certainly, therefore, this is a fellowship that wears authentic gospel glasses. The lenses of my glasses, actually, they're these other ones. Um, so these are the glasses that I wear when I'm round and about. And these are the special ones that I have when I'm at the computer. And uh, the issue that I'm sharing about here. Uh, has to do with my regular glasses that you would have seen if I would have been there in person with you. So here it goes. So the issue, the lenses of these, my regular glasses, have the right prescription. But lately I've been noticing things look a bit strange. I know that with age prescriptions change, but what I've discovered is that my coatings are getting rubbed off. Those of you that have glasses, prescription glasses, know what I'm talking about. As a result, I'm not seeing as I should. For now, this pair is okay, but I'm really looking forward to the new ones. I've ordered glasses online for the first time, hoping that goes well. So even when we have the right glasses, over time, things may get in the way and cause us to see things incorrectly. Sometimes all it takes is a good cleaning. Other times, new glasses are in order. When it comes to understanding Bible truth, it isn't always easy to notice when our, pers our perspective becomes skewed or why. Through my many years of reading, studying, and teaching the Bible, I've been committed to its God-infused authority. I love to quote Paul's words to Timothy from 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The whole Bible is breathed out or inspired by God and is the equipment God has given us that we may live godly, effective lives. It's scripture that's inspired, not church teaching, not my teaching, not theology, not tradition. Only the Bible is inspired. That doesn't automatically make church teaching, my teaching, theology, or tradition wrong. It's that all these must be regularly placed under the scrutiny of scripture. And that's what I try to do for myself and others. I'm not always successful, but that's my goal. All that said, I do wonder sometimes how people take it when I seek to correct conventional thinking. As I've mentioned other times, I would love to have more feedback and interaction about what I share. Coming to grips with the truth of scripture is a process, a process that functions best within healthy community. Be that as it may, core to my gospel advent series is that the biblical concept of the gospel is far more encompassing than how we have tended to think, at least in recent history. My impression is that most Bible believers, if they were asked to define the, the gospel, they would say something along the lines of, Jesus died for our sins so that we may have eternal life. They may or may not include his resurrection. Then I come, I come around and I, and I say, no, Jesus' death and resurrection are not in themselves the gospel, but that which makes the gospel possible. What the gospel actually is, is the proclamation of the reign of God through Jesus the Messiah. Failure to recognize this causes our gospel lenses to be skewed. A gospel summed up in simply, in simply Jesus died for me, which is both true and very important, but if that's the gospel, the result is very self-focused, while the, the gospel, as the proclamation of the reign of God, encompasses everything. For the record, this is not new, some newfangled teaching. Not only do I assert that this is the authentic biblical view of what the gospel is, this way of thinking, um, or rather this way of looking at it has been almost always part of church teaching. 
as I said, just because the church teaches something doesn't make it true. I just want you, I don't want you to think that I'm making it up. Interestingly, there are a few times in the year when the gospel is, as the proclamation of the reign of God is expressed so vividly than at Christmas time. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Or in another verse of that same carol, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. That's more than just me and Jesus talk here. Or how about from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? O come, desire of nations bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. And here's angels. Here's from angels from the realms of glory. Though an infant now we view him, he shall fill his father's throne. Gather all nations to him. Every knee shall then bow down. So now let's look at what might be the clearest example of an all-encompassing gospel joy found in the Bible. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. This is a tale of gospel lens adjustment, both for the people back then and for us today. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want to mainly focus on gospel joy through verses 10 and 11. Read it again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So first of all, who are these shepherds? The shepherds of first century Israelite society uh, were at the bottom bottom of the society in a very oppressive culture. Economically and socially, they were near the bottom of the ladder. And so then this message comes to these shepherds, and it's saying the oppression is coming to an end. The oppression that was coming to an end, in in their understanding, uh, was two-pronged. First, there was the Romans. Their very presence in the land of Israel was extremely offensive. It was a reminder to the Jewish people of God's displeasure. Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like getting displeasure vibes from people, let alone getting displeasure vibes from uh, just the state of affairs and to think that God, God has an issue with me, God has an issue with us, That's what they were living with every day. Um, The presence of of the Romans made the land unclean. That added to to their oppressive situation. And of course, the Romans were very aggressive and violent in keeping control. And that that was one of their main things. That was the, the Roman peace of that era is what made the Roman Empire so 
actually amazing, but how they kept the peace is another story. It was very oppressive, and especially for the Jewish world of that time. So there's one aspect of the societal situation, and basically it was the ruling authorities making it really tough for the Jewish people of that day. But on top of that, their own leadership, um, which had some political overtones, but mainly religious ones, was also very oppressive, especially for the poorer classes like the shepherds. So first of all, the priesthood, who also we, those are the Sadducees, they were corrupt and got rich on the backs of the people of people like these shepherds. The Pharisees believed that religious purity and strict adherence to their understanding, their understanding of God's word, would bring the Messiah and would release them from oppression. And, and because purity was so important with doing all the right sacrifices and following all the right customs, the poorer classes had a hard time doing it. And that would cause uh, the upper classes and the, the more strict religious folks to look down upon them and mainly blame them for a lot of the problem that was affecting uh, the society today. And, and that's gone on over and over again through time where when things go wrong, there's got to be some group to scapegoat. And so the shepherds would be part of that group. And so then out of the blue, or rather out of the black of night, a heavenly messenger appears to these nobodies. And the word angel, as you might know, simply means messenger. And he's accompanied by a brilliant light, which may I say freaked them out. And their immediate response was to think that they were in trouble. They weren't only just scared of this phenomenon, seeing a heavenly vision, because remember, these are the people that would be looked down upon and they would have a low view of themselves. And so now heaven shows up. And so therefore, what would they deduce? Well, they must be in trouble. Um, and so that's why when the the angel says, fear not, um, it's, it's mainly to alleviate the fears that they were in big trouble. It probably didn't reduce too much of their the palpitations of their hearts that they were experiencing, um, but it would make the situation hopefully for them better. And so far from being in trouble, the message was one of good news, of great joy for all the people that the long-awaited Messiah had come. And we've been talking about the good news, the gospel, the Yangelion, and how in the Jewish world, Yangelion would have meant the reign of God through the Messiah and the overthrow of Caesar. And then in the Roman world, it was an, a, a, a confrontation of Caesar. The proclamation of the gospel in the Roman world was Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. Well, for the oppressed Jewish people, this is good news indeed. It is the big game changer and is cause for celebration. And in times past, I've done uh, sermons on joy. And uh, you might remember that as I researched uh, the biblical concept of joy, I came into it thinking like a lot of people do, that there's this difference between joy and happiness. And so in James, in, in James chapter one talks about when we're in difficult times, consider it pure joy. It's this sort of inner peace and kind of detachment, serenity from the difficulties of life. But no, 
No, haran in Greek is effervescent happiness. And um, it's one of the things that, you know, when I think of a lot of the of the traditional Christmas songs, it's the the content is great, but because of how they're written, excuse me, this is going to sound a little critical. Maybe that's why I'm not there this morning. Uh, often the music isn't fitting the, the feeling that this would have been to these shepherds. Like they didn't go into another kind of floaty state like with, ah, isn't that wonderful? God has come to rescue us and kick Caesar off his throne. No, they'd be going out of their minds with with effervescent happiness. They would be so happy and so excited because what they had just heard, they had been waiting for this for centuries, and now they didn't know they were the first ones to hear this, uh, besides Joseph and Mary, of course, and, and there was the other few that, that like um, John the Baptist family, so on, let's, let's not get distracted. Um, Almost nobody knew this, and they were—they didn't know that they would be letting in on this big secret. And and they would have been completely excited. It's probably one of the reasons why they left their sheep. Can't say that for sure, but there's a good chance they, they left their post because they were so excited. And you know, I could just see a lot of people going, well, really, if they were godly shepherds, they would have stayed and did their duty. But when God comes and and brings this level of, of good news, it's time in, in the Greek, it's mega joy, mega joy. And that is what they were experiencing. But there's a question here that we often don't ask, I don't think, and that is, who is to celebrate? It says um, in, uh, which verse is it? Better get it here. In verse, uh, yeah, it's verse 10. It says that the they were bringing, the angel was bringing good news of great joy that would be for all the people. And it says all the people, not all people, which if you think of a lot of Christmas greetings, Christmas cards, even Christmas celebrations, like Christmas is for everyone. Christmas is a time for everyone to be happy. But actually, that's not the message. It's not the message. It is a incredibly happy. So when I'm feeling, if I may say gross like I'm feeling today, there's still reason to be happy because of this of this good news of mega joy that's been announced and is as true today as it was true for the shepherds in that day even more true because because they didn't even know yet what the messiah was going to do and how he's going to set us free from sin and the fear of death and equip us to fulfill God's mission in the world. Like we have been chosen by God to spread the his goodness in all of its all of its benefits to all the nations of the world. So in a sense, yeah, it's for everyone, but it's actually for the people, not all people. And you know starting historically, the message of the Yangeli on the good news was for particularly for the Jewish people. They were the only ones who were waiting for the Messiah, plus some people like the wise men who show up later from the far from the east, the like Persia, um, Middle East, far Middle East. Um, and uh, they knew something about the promises that a great king was going to be born 
to the Jewish people. And that's why they came all that way to, to find him. But it's only those who had contact with the Jewish people and the Jewish scriptures that were aware. And these would be people whose hearts would begin to connect with the truth of the one true God, the God of Israel. But this good news of great joy, which was for all the people, was not for absolutely everyone. Because if people who are not willing to accept the message of Jesus, according to the scriptures, are in big trouble. This is emphasized for us in verse 14. By that time, now there's what's called this heavenly host. Host actually means army. Again, it probably, I know they were singing, but you got to picture this awesome, mighty army like heavenly soldiers maybe they were holding swords but if they weren't uh, holding heavenly swords that that's that that's the emphasis here that this is like an army choir that is now proclaiming glory to god in the highest and earth and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased this might seem a little jarring they didn't say everyone not everyone it's there's peace promised to those with whom god is pleased now the good news is he potentially everyone can be god pleasing if we heed the message of the angelion the good news and we turn to jesus the king so it's it's kind of interesting to me how how um christmas has become this universal happy time of the year but actually for those who don't know the Lord, it's a huge warning. And the time we're in right now, like these past two Christmas seasons, are are even more warnings from God that if we don't get our acts together and repent and turn to God, we're in big, big trouble. And that's a word to the church. That's a word to the society. Now, the message that we're bringing is incredible good news because it's a message that's saying that human beings who have been cut off from God because of our waywardness, our sin, because of our evil that that pervades the heart of us all, uh, that God has come through Jesus to deal with all that. And we get to be, if we put our trust in Jesus, we get to be God's friends We get to walk with God. He's promised to be with us. He's promised to use us. He's promised to help us when we go through difficult times, when we go through confusing times, when we go through painful times, when when death meets us, when when all sorts of horrific things meets us. And and now one of the things that's happening is that is that we're so confused and we're and there's just like this um, this pervading anxiousness. That is over the hearts of so many. You know, uh, we were told if we do this, then this will happen. Then no, change a plan, and then change a plan, and change a plan. And the other day, um, we have a, a WhatsApp group with our, our family, and where we message each other. And um, one of one of the family members sent out that Premier Ford is going to do an announcement the next day. And it's like, we don't need to hear in advance that another announcement is coming. Can we just wait for the announcement and then figure things out from there? But no, no, no. We just got to keep that anxiety up. So what, what that is all about is what's happened to us is we've been connected more to the crisis than to the Lord. And, and that's been a, a problem with me. I don't know about you. But when I start to feel a little bit under the weather, I get anxious. And it has to do with my 
my history as a child and lots of things that I went through. It's not an excuse, but it's a reason. And so I react um, quite quickly to to any semblance of sickness, whether it's around me and other people or myself, and and um, I'm quick to take my temperature, and um, I don't take my pulse. Maybe I should take my pulse, but I, I don't. But it's just so easy for me to get dragged into the negative realm of sickness and death and danger and, and, and tragedy. And while we need to take all those things seriously and not kind of like be la-di-da when the bombs are falling, I'm, I'm not saying that, but to be able to do that well-connected to Jesus. Um, and so this joy, oh, oh one thing, oh, yeah, I, I need to say this, and we're almost done, that this is what gospel lenses are really all about. Because um, my normal eyes, like many of you, don't see properly. Now, right now, my perspective is fuzzy. You never see me without my glasses, I get. Yes, yeah, no, I'm not Superman. But... Uh, my natural perspective is fuzzy. I can't, it would, it's, it's illegal for me to drive because I would be dangerous without glasses on. And so putting good, clear glasses on, I can't drive in these either because either they're for the computer, putting good glasses on doesn't give me the glasses perspective. You see the world as it really is. Uh, if I, when I don't have them on, I can't see properly. I don't see the world as it really is. So when I'm putting on glasses, I'm not getting the glasses perspective. I'm getting the perspective of reality. And that's what happens when we put gospel lenses on. Then we see the world as it really is. We see the world according to God's truth, but not God's truth as if it's different from truth, truth. God's truth is the way the world really is. That's what the shepherds experienced. They were given gospel glasses that that evening when the angel announced this great mega joy news to them that they were seeing what was really going on, that Caesar's days were numbered, that the oppressive religious um class of society was going to be overturned, that God's care and love for the needy and the poor would be upheld, and he would make everything right. Now, of course, it's 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 been a long process, but we get to be part of that process. We get to become part of what God is doing in the world today. But in order to do that, we need a good pair of gospel glasses to see truly what God is doing in our lives. And so for some of us, uh, we simply need to clean our glasses. We might need to get our lens 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 changed. Some of us need to get gospel glasses for the very first time. And the part of the good news is that's possible if we look to God in Jesus and call out to him and ask him to change our perspective and help us to see the world through his lenses, through his eyes, then we will know mega joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We pray that you would help us in this time. Would you bring your uh, consoling presence to those who are mourning? Um, We think of Mary Richmond's family and all who are touched by her passing this past week, um, that they might know Uh, your healing, comforting presence. 
And Lord, many of us are going through all sorts of things, and sometimes it seems that joy is next to impossible to to connect with. And so we pray that during this Advent season, as we prepare to celebrate the first coming of your Son and anticipate his second coming, that you would enable us to see this world through your eyes. Help us, Lord, and may we be filled with mega joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope to see everybody soon. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.